Hello, and my name is Pete Rushmer, and I'm your host today of A Half Dozen Things podcast. A Half Dozen Things is a podcast for business owners just like you. Whether you're an underdog hungry for success, or you're already smashing it, but want to continue to level up, we are here each week for you to get insight and learning from the very best in the business. No fluff, no BS, and no self-proclaimed gurus talking about how easy business or life is. I'm delighted to be joined today by Mark Spence. Mark Spence is the Dangerous Good Consultant. And during this podcast, we do an introduction into ADR awareness. We talk about some of the training opportunities that we've got coming up. But overall, we give people a really great initial understanding of what Dangerous Goods is and what ADR awareness is too. Please do enjoy and share with your friends. Welcome everyone to today's session. I'm joined by Mr. Mark Spence. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, getting Mark to come onto the podcast today and I'm really, really pleased to have him with us. Uh, he's an expert on dangerous goods um, and uh, I know some people feel a little bit queasy when you start talking about being an expert or something, but I know Mark absolutely is and he knows his stuff. Um, I've been had the pleasure of coming across Mark um, through various networks, I think, actually, we've sort of crossed paths. One through BNI, we're both BNI members, you over in Northampton and me here in Peterborough. Um, yep. But then also, I think, um, you know, Dawn Girardi as well, who we do yes. a bit of work with at Pegasus. She's Northampton-based, and we sort of do a bit of associate work with their forklift training and us doing their first aid and that kind of thing. So it's a pleasure to have you on, Mark. For the for the benefit of the listeners, are you able to just sort of uh, give a bit of an overview of what you do and, and sort of your background and that kind of thing? please yeah um well i've been in transport logistics 25 odd years um and done done a wide variety of roles worked for pallet networks um for the last 15 years i've also been a dangerous good safety advisor dgsa normally referred to so it's all, all working within transport and logistics advising on the safe transport of dangerous goods and there's a huge range of things that that fall into dangerous goods um most of which people don't really realize there's an awful lot of everyday items um and most of what i do it, it's auditing reports but it's just general advice yeah absolutely fantastic yeah so uh it's, this has come quite timely for me because i'm finishing my last assignment on my safety diploma and i've got to do a load of kosh risk assessments for um for various uh substances that are used on a farm to be able to clean milk um uh, milking equipment for, for cows and what have you and literally if i had hair i'd be tearing it out because i find it quite painful um but there we go this is this is what you're here to help solve so um mark it's a pleasure sort of having you on and um obviously we've got a few areas that we want to talk about so the first thing is that we're going to be talking about um everyday items that are dangerous goods we're also going to talk a bit about lithium batteries class two gases class three flammable liquids class eight corrosives and common misperceptions in transporting dangerous goods and then also we've got a few quick questions which i've not briefed mark on already uh he doesn't know what they're going to be but i went to the fa uh, facebook transport community that um in in the in the community hub that i run which is the transport consultants and consultants hub uh, if anyone wants to join that please do join the conversation but i asked them what sort of stuff would they be interested to hear from mark on and uh, and i've got a couple of questions from mark there so he'll wait with bated breath on that um, but first up let's talk about everyday items that are dangerous goods mark one quick one are you talking about your your caution and things like the reach 
that's very much on the sort of like in, in warehouses, in, in, in factories. Uh, my side of it is very much on the transportation of those substances. And while I know quite a bit about reach, et cetera, it's very much how you transport them safely. Because yep. I do get asked questions about that, and I can't advise on that particular aspect. So, I mean, with everyday items, I mean, it's like, the basic is your house is full of dangerous goods. Um, but it's the transportate, transporting them commercially that's an issue. As a private individual, you can go to the shops, you can buy, not regulated at all. But, I mean, it, it's common things like aerosols, perfumes, obviously very topical at this time of year. It's very difficult. The post office won't take it. It's a flammable liquid. But other things, um, an awful lot of cleaning products uh, can be corrosives, um, um, some paints, hand sanitizer. I mean, there's a lot of issues certainly last year with transporting hand sanitizer when it's um, to be effective against COVID. It's got to be at least 70% alcohol, um, flammable liquid. Um, and then uh, the big one is, is we're going to talk about in a moment, lithium batteries. Lithium batteries uh, absolutely everywhere in your phone, your laptop, iPads, tablets, and, and a growing number of other items as well. Um, and look after them properly, we're fine. But uh, if you don't look after them, or we have a problem with them, it can get extremely nasty. And there's, there's an awful lot of things on YouTube. So I, th I think I think it's a really interesting thing for me because I, I'm, I'm a total novice and, and I think listeners will probably be rolling their eyes at some of the questions I may ask, but hopefully it's useful because other people will be novices too. So let's let's sort of explore it a little bit. So I'm in my car and I go shopping at Tesco or, or other supermarkets are available and I buy myself some aerosols and bits and pieces. Essentially, I'm transporting then dangerous goods. What what really becomes the sort of catalyst or the turning point, I suppose, when uh, it's it's being or, or hand sanitizer or, or what have you, that it's then being transported for for hire and reward, for example. When when does that become a dangerous goods thing? Because I think I think a lot of people are transporting these items without even realizing that there's uh, that there's a, a need for for them to have any help with from a dangerous goods point of view. Yeah, there's a huge amount travels every day um the the reality is it, it there is as soon as you get anything you can if you're transporting one aerosol commercially it's classed as a dangerous good um there's there's, there's exemptions um for lots of things uh, like a, a fitter if a fitter has got a a little butane cylinder because it does a little bit of welding there's an exemption because he's not transporting that commercially he needs it for his job. Mm -hmm. But really, uh, your, your couriers, your hauliers, anyone who's paid to move that product, mm -hmm. it comes under the dangerous goods regulations. And there's varying levels in that. The, the bulk of it is uh, what I tend to call the retail. The things you buy in shops get transported in to the RDCs and then on to the to the uh, supermarkets. There is a small there is a small element. It's generally it's limited quantities because you are limiting the risk. So 
it's your maximum for limited quantities is five liters, five kilos, <clears throat> depending on the product. So, and the idea being, I know you have a, um, a pallet of aerosols. If there's a problem with it, it's not gonna go woof in one go because you've got each individual container that, that mitigates the risk. But really anything, a sm even a small pallet of, of per paint or perfume, there is an element of the regulations that people need to be aware of. It's not like your um, petrol tanker driver who has an extremely well-built, highly regulated vehicle. He has to take uh, an ADR license. He has to take an extra license for his tanks. Um, very well regulated, very well trained. That, that's your top end. It needs a bit of training and understanding of what they're carrying. And, and it, it's people knowing that they need to have that bit of training. Just be aware of what they're carrying and what to do if there's a problem. Okay, so one of the one of the questions I did have just just quickly before we go on to the, sort of the next area, but DGSA is quite clear. So dangerous goods safety advisor. Yeah, is that correct? Yeah. What does ADR then stand for? Um, ADR. It, it's actually derived from a French acronym, but in English, it is the agreement for the transportation of dangerous goods by road. Okay. Okay. So it doesn't necessarily directly translate into. ADR. I mean, it should I, be ADGR. <laughs> um, well, actually, because you take the D from dangerous and road, so the the acronym is the same. Okay. Okay. Fine. Fine. Okay. Cool. So um, let's go with then. Next up, we were going to talk a bit about. So obviously, we talked about everyday items, and and those essentially need to be transported in limited quantities so sort of five kilos or, or what have you so what happens then when you're when you're moving more than that amount what what needs to happen if you're if you're a strand standard transport manager and you don't really know anything about dangerous goods if you know that you're being asked to move more than five kilos of one of these everyday goods what what process should you then follow well the the critical thing is the size of the individual container so if you've got a five liter tin of paint and it qualifies as limited quantities, then you aren't limited as to how much of that you can carry. You can have an Arctic full of it, and it still is classed as limited quantities. It, it's not the volume, it's the size of the container. Um, there's a slight bit more. You, you've got If you've got more than ton, you've got to put a placard on the vehicle, and, and the driver needs to be trained. Um, then you're, what, what catches an awful lot of people out is then if you start moving 10 litre tins of paint that are regulated, because you then have something called the small load exemption, where you can, what, what people may well have heard of is you can move up to a thousand kilos before it becomes ADR. Or certainly if it's coming in from the continent, they call it a thousand points. Um, and, and that's prorated. So some, it may be 333 kilos or liters if you hit that threshold that thousand kilo threshold if you've got a thousand one kilos it's full adr if you've got a thousand plus the small load exemption and the driver needs um training and and all training needs to be recorded so that if you get a, a visit by those lovely people from the hse 
the first thing you're going to want to look at is your training record. So you need to make sure it's logged and, and maintained. It needs to be redone every two years. Uh, and the driver needs to have a minimum two kilo dry powder fire extinguisher on the vehicle. And then he's covered. The vast majority of people, because it's the thousand kilos is per vehicle. So if you've got two pallets of pain that are 550 kilos each, you're, it's 1,100 kilos, you're over the limit. A lot of people just treat it as full ADR because it can be quite challenging calculating it because um, it, it gets quite technical. There's, there's a few things you have to review of it. Okay. okay. Uh, one of the things I was going to ask you, and it's, it, uh, I suppose it's a bit of a name drop for our, uh, our upcoming collaboration where we're going to be offering ADR awareness training as part of the driver CPC. Yep. There's a four-day ADR driver course, isn't there? And then there's an ADR awareness course. In in that situation that you mentioned there, would the would a one day ADR awareness course be be sufficient for that level of training if that's recorded and certificated? Yes, yeah. the the the, the one day course is training up to that threshold. Okay. So over that threshold, you need the full ADR license, which is where you do your four day course. Perfect. Perfect. Really good. Okay. Brilliant. Um, so next up, uh, one of the things that you you mentioned was lithium battery. So tell me a bit more about um sort of what uses they are and, and what sort of uh what, what we see them as from an adr point of view yeah um lithium batteries can be be very challenging if you've flown if you're allowed to fly at the moment um you go go through your security they want to see your laptop they want to see anything that's containing your lithium battery uh several reasons but obviously um, lithium batteries have brought down, or fires caused by lithium batteries, have brought down several cargo planes. Um, there's lots and lots of clips on YouTube of mobile phones exploding, scooters, electric bikes. Um, you have this horrible thing called where, because you've got lots of individual cells in your lithium battery. If one of those gets uh, corrupted, and starts breaking down, it can give off uh, toxic gases, flammable gases, quite easily catch fire, and you get a thing called thermal runaway. And once it happens, you can't stop it. Uh, so well, very recently, somewhere in India, a person got a, an electric bike, and it was on charge, um, and you see a few pops, some smoke coming out, and then you've got six-foot flames coming out the battery at the back of the bike. So you can... It, it can be very nasty. Um, a few years ago, when hover, um, hover scooters came in, um, there were something like 200 house fires caused by these. You know, the main thing you've got to watch out with lithium batteries is the charging. Never use a cheap charge cable. If, you, if your cable gets broken, get a quality replacement because a lot of these fires are driven by them being overcharged. Uh, and certainly with your with your phone or your laptop, if you see the back that it's getting uh, bubbling or blistering, you need to get rid of it as quickly as possible because the battery is starting to degrade. It's not salvageable. Um, and yeah, need, need to get it replaced, save your data, get it replaced. Um, certainly in, in recycling centres, I heard a stat recently, there's, they reckon there's about a fire every week in recycling centres around the country. 
and virtually all of them have been caused by lithium batteries just being put into the general recycling when they need to be treated as hazardous waste and need to be dealt with carefully. Yeah, those people chucking those mobile phones just in the general waste, like, poof, see you later. I got yeah. my new, I got my new iPhone. It's interesting actually because um, I've just been, I've been going through the rigmarole. My my young lad's getting his first phone, and um, we've inherited it from Nan and Pops, my my parents, and uh, it's come, and uh, we've managed to misplace the charging lead for it. And uh, whilst we use Android, I'm very aware there's some cheap. Uh, Apple alternative chargers on the market, and I've seen the the fires, the sockets uh, that have been caused by these, yeah. and um, and uh, I'm, I'm seeking out the. It's going to cost me probably ten times more than the cheap alternative for a genuine Apple charger, but I think it's probably not worth taking the risk. Yeah. Um, so. One of um, uh, it's quite interesting actually because I said I said to Mark before we started this podcast, I was like, my understanding of ADR is like zero, right? But do you know what? I feel really happy with this lithium battery conversation because just today I heard on the news that uh, Transport for London have banned e-scooters across all of um, the public um, all the public transport facilities. They're banned. Anyone carrying an e-scooter, and that's because they're yeah. Um, there was a too fire many cases month. of them firing. Yeah, yeah. Last month there was a fire on the tube train. Really? Oh, yeah. And that's really dangerous, isn't it? Really, really. Because people yeah. think that's militant. They're being really militant. But actually, when you think about it, that that it's just pure safety and consequences and adding controls. And yeah, so anyone who's caught carrying an e-scooter onto any of the public transport um, or, or, or such like um, in, in London is going to be banned. They're going to be... Yeah. I, and I would expect that will be rolled out across the country as well, mm. as other people... Uh, thing is i mean yeah you've got a fire with one of those in an enclosed space and particularly with the toxic gases it can give off never mind the fire yeah quite easily have fatalities yeah so i didn't even realize the significance of that when i watched it this morning and then obviously just speaking to you now i've gone ah, i know something <laughs> <laughs> amazing okay let's go on to uh, Let's talk about lithium batteries. Talk to me a bit about class two gases. So off the top of my head, I don't know what a class two gas is. So um, if you're able to just sort of take that to primary school level for me, Mark, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's an awful lot of uh, fairly big oxygen. Um, the, the thing about the, the, your gases, you, you've got three types. You've got your flammables, your non-toxic, non-flammable, and your toxic. So really anything that is compressed, Aerosols are a compressed gas. Um, you think oxygen. Now, people have said when I've done training courses before, how, how can oxygen be a dangerous goods? Um, it, it's a tad essential to life. The risk is the pressure, because they're all in compress in, in pressurized cylinders. Even your aerosol, I mean, they say don't puncture it, don't throw it on a fire. And there's some lovely YouTube clips of um, factories in China going up in flames with aerosols. And you see, it's like it's almost like fireworks, these little bright arcs of little missiles coming fire out. And those are all aerosol cans, where, where it's got punctured and that, burn, they do. And, and aerosol cans can get, give, blow up with a massive bang. But yeah. there's, there's a wide range of, of gases. Most of your aerosols you buy in your shops are flammable. Um, for the older generation, they may remember James Bond in the 70s where he's got an aerosol a lighter and he kills a snake with it. I think there was a bit of um, poetic licence involved, but 
you, you can do that. You can quite easily like them. Um, vast majority are, are um, flammable, but are fire extinguishers, whether they're CO2 um, and, or, or some of the other gases, again, it, it's a compressed gas cylinder. I mean, as is the joy of dangerous goods, there's lots of exemptions. I don't know many drivers that would object to having a pallet of uh, fire extinguishers on their vehicle. And actually, there's an exemption. They are, they've got their own UN number, they are regulated, but there's a special provision that then takes them out of the regulations so you can transport them easily. You just got to be careful when they're used or been sent back for repair, then they then um, are treated quite often differently. Brill. And um, okay, so um, also you were you, you've put on the list here class three flammable liquid. So what is a what is a class three flammable liquid? Um, probably one one of the biggest areas of dangerous goods. The the big one you already mentioned paint, and and there's an awful lot of things that get classed as paints. Um, it goes far as creosote. Uh, and around it, it's any liquid that you can um, that will will burn as long as they it, it's it's all driven by the flash point. I mean, if you put enough heat into anything, it'll burn. So these are things that will burn relatively easy. Um, again, we're looking forward to Christmas. Um, alcohol. Alcohol is a flammable liquid. That's when you put you warm your brandy up. You put it on your Christmas pudding, you can set fire to it. Yeah. Um, and again, there's a, uh, exemptions, alcohol, packed for retail, so in the bottle, and we're talking spirits, not, not beers and ciders, it's got to be really above 24% proof. So your, your spirits, exempt. You only start coming into the regulations when you're moving it in bulk like a thousand litre IBC or something like that. Right, okay. I was going to ask you then, because, um, you know, I was going to say dray deliveries, I don't think I, they don't fall under ADR as far as I knew, so. No, no, certain no beers. And, and actually, you're talking about dray deliveries and wooden casks, you can move up to 250 litres of spirits in a wooden cask. And again, there's a special provision that, that exempts that. Oh, okay, so, so it sounds <laughs> to me, to me, the standard transport manager, it sounds a lot like the EU drivers' hours legislation, where there's just so many exemptions. That it's a bit like, well, you need to just make sure you know them all, <laughs> yes, and, uh, I'll, I'll, and, yeah. and make sure you've got a good understanding of them. Yes, dangerous goods. There's an awful lot of black and white, but then there's a huge bit of grey. And yeah. as, as with all these things, you, there are some things you can you can interpret two ways. Um, but quite often you it's it's right okay well you want to send it send it in that size okay this is what you have to be aware of you can reduce the size of the container and you can send it a different way hi it's pete from flagship partners we're really proud to sponsor a half dozen things podcast at flagship partners we take road safety really seriously and we're your road safety partnership we help transport companies with compliance and training across their businesses, including first aid, driver CPC, and other transport management services. So if your fours are accredited or you want to improve your, improve your operator compliance risk score, give Flagship Partners a call today. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, Brill. Um, next uh, next area was class eight corrosives. So what, what what's class eight corrosives, Mark? Um, yeah, corrosives. Um, 
literally something that can damage you, your table, damage the environment, damage the environment by chemical action. So it eats away at it. Uh, you've got your your acids and your alkalis. Um, so there's an awful lot of cleaning products, drain cleaner, oven cleaner, bleach. There's an awful lot of these things that, by chemical action, will remove remove something. Um, I mean, yeah, it's like bleach. You don't get ble bleach on your skin. You get chemical burns. Um, and I mean, the reason I've chose the, those three three classes out of the nine is because those are the most common items that you will get. Um, but it, it's yeah, you 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 get a a case of bleach that's been dropped, and all the ends have been and broken, and it starts to leak. Then you got to be be careful. You don't want corrosive um, material on 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 you. So as with a lot of things, but particularly corrosives, your drivers need to be checking the load. And if they see something leaking, then they need to deal with it before they move the vehicle. There was a case a few years ago down in Kent where uh, a driver, I think it, it, was, it was carrying IBCs rather than, than, than stuff back for retail, but it was leaking. And he, he got out on, onto the main road, was contacted, pulled into the service station because he was on the motorway. Um, and yeah, yeah, I'm leaking. Now, and any uh, volume of uh, corrosives particularly, or any dangerous goods that's leaking, you stop as soon as it is safe and you make sure your transport manager is aware or your boss and contact emergency services because they've got the equipment for coming to deal with it. Your driver, your ADR driver will have, have a kit, but you can only really deal with, with small spills, anything big. You need to contact the emergency services. Unfortunately, in this case, the transport manager said to the driver, oh, you haven't got far, come back. So he goes back onto the motorway, up to the next junction and back, all the time, spilling corrosives onto the public highway. Company was prosecuted. The driver and the transport manager were, were both fired, and I was both individually prosecuted. Yeah. Um, and had quite hefty fines. And I think one of them may have even ended up in jail. Really? Wow. That's, um, that's a real reason to be listening to this podcast, isn't it? And then realizing if you need, um, if you need the training, you need to go and have the training. So that's, um, that's frightening, really, isn't it? To think of the risk, the risk to, uh, to the general public of, of those spillages happening on the on our roads um, and people not being properly trained and making calls like that to not get not get not get it fixed is um, you know it needs to be sorted immediately. Tell me a bit more. So you've got nine classes of dangerous goods, then. So we've sort of picked three of them: two, three, and eight. Um, with with those different classes, are they are they in a scale or an order that sort of one to nine, or is it just that they're that that's how they've been managed? They've been allocated one of the classes. Yeah. Uh, as I understand it, they, the, the basics for dangerous goods actually came out of what the French had at the end of the Second World War. And because their transport system was the most intact, it tended to take that, which is why it, it was a, it's a French acronym. Um, but they, the different classes, 
there's no no scale of danger. I mean, your, your class one is your explosives, but your class seven is your radioactives. I mean, generally the, the two things you don't want to deal with. Um, but again, you may well, everyday items that are explosives, especially in the, in the current uh, festive season, Christmas crackers, party poppers are explosives. They are regulated goods. Um, again, the amount of exp explosive in each is, is minute, but they're still regulated. There's still rules that have to be followed. They can be moved in, but it means things like um, Christmas crackers. You, you're not supposed to sell them to anyone who's under 12. So the, the, the supermarkets all need to be aware of some of these things as well, and as well as them being transported. I think the other big one that, that can get moved as limited quantities rather than you need in a, a, a class one train driver is um, blanks and shotgun cartridges because the amount of explosives in each, each individual cartridge is so small, they are allowed to be moved as limited quantities. Great, great, that makes sense. Um, just a question for you before we go on to the final one, which is common misconceptions. What got you into uh, dangerous goods, Mark? Um, I mean, my, my first experience of dangerous goods was many years ago when I was working at Cadbury's um, and there was a um, food flavouring that needed to be moved from the warehouse down to, um, down to the factory at Bourneville. Uh, and this was in the days before Google. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to find information as to um, how I do the paperwork. Uh, and then many years later, um, I was a transport manager and my boss at the time said, uh, you like technical things, Mark. I think there's a niche in the market for moving dangerous goods. I'm sending you on this DGSA course. Um, went on the course and I suppose found my vocation. Um, I love training people. I love explaining things and, and trying, trying to make the road safer really that that's the whole basis it's making everything safer for everybody moving things in properly because there's a lot of the changes to the regulations have been driven by um major accidents disasters and unfortunately quite often fatalities yeah of course i think um it sounds a bit worrying though when you say uh, when you say about Cadbury's and Bourneville and moving stuff which is potentially dangerous goods that might be a food ingredient. It makes me wonder oh. what might be in that purple packaging. Oh no, no, there is. You've got food flavorings and food colorings yeah. concentrated. They are flammable liquids. Got so, you. I mean, I've done training with people at Cat who have previously worked at Cadbury's and at Nestle. You get tankers turning up fully plated, ADR because they're taking in food flavorings. There's an awful lot of things that go into everyday food that we eat that are um, in concentrated are regulated. They're, I'm not sure how I feel about this, Mark. <laughs> I, I, I quite often use chocolate as an example. Perfectly safe. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, another one example being um, arsenic. Arsenic, everyone. Poison. And, and yeah. quite a very effective poison, but you dilute it enough, you can use it as a, a, a fertilizer. Right, oh, okay. It, it, it's all down to the concentration. Yeah. 
Perfect. Well, hopefully people are still concentrating on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Yeah. So Sorry. tell me. <laughs> and I don't, don't want to scare anyone, really, because, I mean, all these things, there's an awful lot of regulation to make sure, particularly for the private individual, it's safe. Okay, so the final one is uh, common misconceptions in transporting dangerous goods. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to a degree, we've covered it a little bit. I mean, okay. I've spoken to, there's a lot of hauliers who say, and, and couriers, we don't do dangerous goods. No, we don't do ADR. So, but I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, you've got lots of different acronyms, dangerous goods, has chem, has freight, ADR, they all mean the same thing. And particularly this, this threshold that we've already talked about, this thousand kilo, there's an awful lot of people in, in logistics who think below that threshold, it's not ADR. Um, to be blunt, they're wrong. It is still ADR. It is only a small part of the regulation that is applied. It's an important part um, because if you're carrying items that are regulated, whether the quantities or, or below threshold, and you get pulled by the DVSA or the police, um, then you're, you can get prosecuted. And the driver will get prosecuted and your transport manager can get prosecuted if the driver's not correctly trained. The driver's responsible for what's on his vehicle, but the transport manager is responsible for ensuring the driver's correctly trained. So, and particularly with the massive boom in um, e-commerce um, and the fact that you can't get out of a van for love and money these days because everyone's out delivering parcels. This time of year, there's an awful lot of things that's going through the, the parcel networks through the Royal Mail that is dangerous goods because in a lot of cases, the consignor doesn't even think that they're dangerous goods. Um, they just go through, all the companies put things in place as much as is reasonably possible to prevent it. Yeah. yeah. It's, so uh, there we have it, right. So even if you're, even if you're carrying and exempt under, under uh, limited quantities, you still need to ensure that you've got the training to be able to, yeah. to, be, able to, uh, to be able to understand ADR. Yeah, yeah. So the, all the, the more reason for people to come speak to us about our ADR awareness, driver CPC. Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Because <laughs> they'll get a CPC day as well and get to learn yep. about it. So it's a it's an absolute no-brainer. Okay, brilliant. So are you okay if we move on to the questions that we've had yep. from uh from the other transport managers in the in the transport manager hub? So yeah, um the first one is is it recommended to do the DGSA course? And from a TM perspective, transport manager perspective, what are the benefits? Um, you only need a DGSA if you are moving above that thousand litre threshold. Um, if you're not sure, calculate it, it's worth doing. If you're moving small quantities, actually doing the course, I mean, it's a, it's a four day course. You've got three exams you have to pass. Um, the pass rate for first timers is below 50%. And I think they, they, the pass rate for the individual exams is something like 65, 70%. So uh, it's quite high and it's difficult getting information out of the SQA as to, to what, what you've got. You get a plain pass or fail. It's as simple as that. 
Uh, not many people pass all three exams first time. Um, it, it, it's a useful thing to have, but you need to balance ha having the qualification over um, what you're doing and how much you're moving. And a bit like getting a driving license, when you actually pass your test, that's when you really start learning. And it's the same with the DGSA. You've got the qualification, but there's still an awful lot more to learn. Um, and you have to renew it every five years. Yeah, I think um, I think like with any qualification, I think um, the, the, the challenge with being human is that we fill our brains with this knowledge and material to be able to pass an exam. And then if we don't use that knowledge, it goes. So you could have the qualification. And if you're not using it on a regular basis, there's there's no you know there's no there's no real point in having the qualification just for the sake of having the certificate if you're not putting that into practice and you're not practicing that knowledge regularly you're going to lose it over time and you're going to get rusty and in which case you're going to then need to speak to someone for advice anyway so um i'm, I'm a firm advocate and, and people will listen and probably go pete what are you talking about because in the sector everyone's very knowledge driven and i think it's great having knowledge and i think it's great having good technical expertise but i think if you if you don't practice regularly it's a bit like a, a, a transport manager who's passed his qualification several years ago and the and the traffic commissioner is expecting them to take a refresher because if you're not using that knowledge on a regular basis, if you're you're only exposed to what you're exposed to, then um, you're not developing that understanding. You're not developing the practice that you need to be able to really hone those skills. I don't know what you think to that, but that, that's sort of yeah, my no, opinion. No, totally agree. And I mean, we're certainly with the dangerous goods, the regulations are updated every two years by road, uh, you, but also you've got regulations by sea. The regulations by air update every year, and you've also got regulations by rail. Um, and though rarely used in this country, there's regulations by the waterway. Yeah. So you you need to be aware of the changes. Um, I mean, there's a minimum half a dozen new UN numbers come in every every two years yep. and things like um engines and about four four years ago you um combustion engines actually came into the regs and were given un numbers hmm. so you now need to be aware if you're moving an engine you need to be aware of the regulations this thing's quite often will take it out but there's there's changes there's constant changes there's there's quarterly meetings that have been running since 1956 at the UN level where they're discussing what changes are going to come in for the next set of regs. Okay so I've got a second question for you uh, which hopefully need a little well I think we'll need a little bit of explaining. Exemption rules on consigners change next year. How is this likely to affect operators both operationally and in terms of getting qualified and or getting an advisor? Yeah um, at the moment you don't need a consignor, so you don't need a DGSA if you're a consignor. If you, you have your transport bought in, the, the carrier has to have a DGSA if you're over that threshold. The consignor doesn't. The rule change is they will. So if you're carrying consigning full ADR, and I mean that, that also includes if, if you're consigning. I know small pallets of regulated paint, and even if you're giving um, carriers small pallets every now and then, overall you're consigning 
quite a lot. You 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 need a change. You need a DGSA that's coming in from the first of January. There's with all regulations, there's actually a, a transition period. So you will have to have your DGSA in place by the 30th of June, um, 2023. So actually, yes, the change that's coming in is January the 1st, 2023. Um, and it's going to affect um, an awful lot of consignors, particularly those that contract out their, uh, their transport. And there's actually a lot of uh, hauliers who are thinking, well, actually, no, we need to be a lot more aware of what we're moving. So there's quite a lot of hauliers that are getting additional people put through the DGSA qualification to ensure that they are fully covered because it's becoming much more on the radar, yes. can we say. Um, and things like with, with the police, obviously the police have been somewhat distracted by COVID for the last couple of years. They're starting to do enforcement again. They were at Crawley um, on the M6 two months ago and 50% of the vehicles they pulled doing dangerous goods checks, um, there was an issue. From, from on-the-spot fines up to um, prohibitions. So before, before I go on to the final question, I've actually just thought of a question. Who, in, in, from a dangerous goods point of view, who, who is the regulator um, when it comes to dangerous goods? Is it HSE? And from a roadside stop point of view, you, you mentioned the police do the DVSA stop for dangerous goods. Or is, is it just the police? What, what, what does that tend to look like? Um, you, you, each nation under the, reg, under the ADR agreement, each nation has a competent authority. And in the UK, the, comp the competent authority is Department of Transport, and they have a dangerous goods division. Um, and through Badge P, the Dangerous Goods Association, we talk to um, the FT every monthly. So they're the competent authority. So any queries come up to them. The police have um, a number of qualified DGSAs around the country. And they have every force has at least one person who's the nominated person to go to. So they they do enforcement. The DVSA will do the same. Um, I don't know quite whether they have their own DGSAs or whether they bring the police in. Um, and occasionally um, a local DGSA may get uh, requested to, to come along just to give that additional uh, information. Yeah, interesting. Okay, fine. And you just just mentioned Badge P, which is yeah. the British Association of Dangerous Goods Professionals. Yeah, is that correct. Yeah. Okay, cool. So the last question is around this. So, do you know anything about being a DGSA or how Badge P, British Association of Dangerous Goods Professionals, organise themselves? In response to their call for member submissions to their newsletter, I've submitted a not overly positive review of my experience thus far as a badge p member um yes I, I i must admit to some inside knowledge because i'm the chair of the organization okay. um and uh, i i have seen the review and it will be being published um badge p set up uh, 11 years ago um mainly out of a concern particularly talking with the dft um, 
that the majority of DGSAs at the time were middle-aged, older gentlemen who were starting to look at retirement. And there was an awful lot of knowledge. I mean, these are people who practiced for many years. Um, there's an awful lot of knowledge going out of the industry. So Badge P was set up to support DGSAs and anybody else in the dangerous goods industry. Um, we put on seminars and webinars to provide information. Uh, we're also developing um, a new DGSA support program, particularly for people coming into the industry, that there is an awful lot to learn and to give someone to, um, as, as a contact, as a, like a buddy to, to help them. And, and we're looking at um, CPD, whether we can bring that sort of thing with it as well. Um, I'm very proud of, of what we do, um, but certainly we are open to, to constructive criticism. We're always looking to grow. Um, membership is increasing um, year on year. We're looking to, to do more. We have contacts into Europe. So, and we have specialists. I mean, I'm very much a specialist by road and particularly with limited quantities because that's the bulk of what I've done in, in my working life. But we have air specialists, we have sea specialists. Um, we have specific class specialists as well. And there's a forum with probably about two and a half thousand people on LinkedIn, which is free to join. Uh, where people pose questions and there's always something to give an answer um, and sort of like growing our connections. We've got connections into the States, South Africa, and quite a lot of connections into Europe. So it's all about supporting people in the, in the industry and trying, again, trying to make it safer. Spread the knowledge, make people aware, particularly these changes that's coming through every November, of the year before there's a change. So November next year, we get the DFT to do a webinar explaining what all the changes are. Just trying to get the information out. So, um, uh, I think I mean, so. I, I would say if you're a DGSA and you're not part of the badge P, you need to become part of the badge P. And I think um, no doubt you'll be in touch with the that your disgruntled member and uh, and be able to realign his expectations if you need to. Um, so yeah, fantastic, Mark. We've come to the end of the podcast. I can't believe how quickly the time has flown, um, but it's been an absolute genuine pleasure to to learn from you today and uh, and understand more around uh, around ADR. So I really appreciate that. If people want to uh, reach out and get in touch with you, or they're interested in getting you on board as a DGSA for them, what's the best way of getting in touch with you, Mark? Um. Um, probably the easiest way, quickest way is LinkedIn. Um, I'm Mark Spence. Um, my, my company is a dangerous goods consultant. Uh, um, got a website, recently got a website up and running. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best way. Bro. Bro. Or, okay. or, or via yourself. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, or, or get in touch with me. I'm quite happy to put you in touch with Mark. I've certainly referred Mark into um, a couple of our customers, um, certainly some family known names that we deal with. Um, and Mark's been in and, and there's been absolutely fantastic feedback from them um, as to the quality of uh, the training that Mark's delivered and the advice he's given as well. So I'm always happy to uh, to promote top professionals. And similarly, um, those that are listening, you know, that there is an opportunity for us here. We, we're going, we're 
going through the process of getting a, uh, one of our courses approved. Um, as those that will know, flagship partners are an independent driver CPC provider. Um, we have uh, applied to JALT for approval for an ADR awareness course that Mark's going to be supporting us with. And, um, you know, if people are interested, they can get driver CPC hours and they can get their ADR awareness. And it's, uh, you know, great value for money because they're going to be able to get both levels of certificate too. So please do get in touch if you're interested, get in touch with either Mark or myself. Uh, but otherwise, thanks for listening please do share it and take care bye-bye i really hope you loved today's episode and if you did please make sure you subscribe and listen out for future episodes too please do share it across your social media channels we hope to reach more and help more people if you want to find out more about me my name's pete rushmer you'll find me across any social media channel and my business flagship partners and we're your partners in success across your business thank you see you again soon